We all know that the left is no longer liberal, but the past few weeks have shown like never before the distressing results of our trend towards polarization. The mainstream media has doubled down again and again on their petty hyperpartisan mudslinging in the face of a true crisis. It's more important than ever to be informed, engaged, responsible citizens who want to follow the facts and ignore the nonsense and the noise. That's exactly what Don't Burn This Book is all about. While we faced a ton of pressure to delay the publication of this book because of the quarantine, I felt it was important to get these ideas out as soon as possible. I know that free thought, free speech, and patriotism are as important to you as they are to me, so I hope this book entertains and inspires you during the days and weeks ahead. Order now at don'tburnthisbook.com. gentlemen, it is me, Candace Owens, the founder of the Blexit Movement, and I am thrilled that my friend Dave Rubin's book is finally out, Don't Burn This Book, which, as you guys know for me, is extremely tempting because when people tell me what not to do, I really <laughs> want to do it. But instead, I actually read this book. I didn't burn it. And I'm super excited that I am the person that gets to present this chapter, um, which is Never Surrendering to the Mob, which is pretty much the story of my entire career. Um, so Dave, this is super exciting for you, uh, this project. I know you worked so hard on it, locked yourselves in many rooms. Let's jump right into it. Um, yeah, Candace, before anything else, I just, I just have to say one thing, which is when I was figuring out the 10 people to do these chapters with, and I'm talking to my associate producer and David and my whole team, we're all looking at number six, like Candace has taken six. Like never surrender map. Candace is taking six. All the other ones we debated, we moved people around, but it was like, nah, nah, we know what's going on with number six. Yeah, and you know what? Um, I appreciate that because I do think I'm a big person of never, never surrendering to the mob. And I have to say, um, what's really unique about this book is that it gives a lot of the personal side to you, which you don't really get because you're usually um, the interviewer. Um, and you don't talk much about your personal life. And it was really unique to, to hear this experience, which I had never, ever, ever known about. Um, and just the struggle of, of what you went through, I think, is, is really incredible. Um, and, uh, you know, me and my husband were discussing it a couple of days ago when we first got the book. And I was going, did, did we ever know that Dave sort of went through this uh, hardship, which I don't know if I should give the details out because he wants yeah, we... to buy the book. <laughs> well, no, we'll could, I'm going to assume that most of the diehards bought the book already. So they know, yeah, I when I first sort of said, hey, lefties, something's not right here. Like, let's be nicer. Let's be liberal again. And I didn't what I didn't expect. I thought I was going to get all this love. Like, you know, people were going to agree with me. And instead, I just got this unending torrent of hate online, which you know well about. And then one day I was at my barber, my friend Jess. And she called David over and she took out the mirror and she said, you better look at this. And I had lost these massive chunks of hair, literally to the point where at one point it was about 40%, if not more, I was spraying on my hair, painting it on. That why I left the left video that I know you've seen because we've done some panels together about it, uh, was in the midst of it when I was not only just spraying on hair, but I was on this experimental medication and I was broken out and my head was oozing. And I swear to you, it's not, a, it's not exaggeration. I, I was about to quit. I, I was literally like an hour away from quitting. I could not take it. And I don't know what got me to the other side. Something just, it, it just pushed me through. Like, you know, everyone before me in my family has had it a lot worse than me. And was I gonna let like some hair loss, you know, get rid of me? But I am proud to say it's all mine. <laughs> and Candace, as someone that doesn't surrender to the mob, I don't wanna say what happened, but I might've, Gotten a haircut yesterday. Uh, just, I'm not saying I did. I'm not saying I did or I didn't. I'm just saying my hair's a little shorter than it was yesterday. Okay, I don't want to 
Not, I don't want anyone snitching on me, Garcetti, or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but we've all been through that sort of thing, right? Like when you started coming out, you, you did that great video when you were red pill black way back when, coming out as a conservative. And did you expect just to get love and then next thing you know, you get some love, but like the crazy hate? You know, I would say the thing that surprised me the most, um, and it's something that I never forgot about, actually, Charlie Kirk, I guess, sort of had more of a vision that I was going to be uh, very successful and gain a lot of followers. You kind of had that sort of that same vision, too. I didn't see it in the beginning. I was just sort of doing what felt right. And he sat me down and he made me uh, read an article of things that can change in your life when you gain a little bit of fame. And I, I read it sort of, you know, uh, OK, this is good plug into the back of your mind, but I don't know if this is going to actually be applied into my life. And, you know, now my husband actually says to me a quote, he doesn't know which Beatles said it, but <laughs> he's, uh, apparently uh, they said, fame doesn't change you, it changes everybody around you. Right. And I think that's just such an interesting quote. So one thing that I experienced jumping into this was I was the same Candace. I've always been this Candace. I've always been the outspoken Candace. I've been a little different. I've always been convicted, whether I was convicted uh, as a liberal and thinking this is exactly who I want to be and help my convictions. Um, I, I was always the same person. So to watch uh, people spin me into a caricature, and then I think the worst part was losing family members. That totally shocked yeah. me. Um, so when I was reading your chapter and, and thinking about you know the shock, and, and you speak about someone who was literally at your wedding or was invited to your wedding. Invited, um, didn't, and, didn't, didn't respond to the wedding invitation, but yeah, was invited to my wedding. Went through the exact same thing. I had family members who didn't even respond, didn't even honor uh, my uh, wedding with a response. Uh, you know, because they, I, I was a conservative. So that was somebody that you just, you can't deal with anymore. And I think that is sort of one of the biggest shocks, I think, of, of knowing that you can be the exact same person and rather than discuss an idea with you, um, you're just considered completely done. You're just completely barred um, from your close families and your friends. And that's such a, a valid point when you're giving your list of things um, for people to just, you know, I love that, the advice that you give in, in each chapter, uh, knowing that your friendships are going to change. Uh, your friendships change a lot. And I can't even imagine how, mu how much your friendships have changed coming from <laughs> they're, the they're young Turks. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're probably changing as we speak. But but the other reason that I wanted to have you on to do this one is not just that you've survived the mob. Like when people think about the mob, like the average person, they don't expect to be the number one trend on Twitter and the Kanye thing and have literally the Twitter moments. You know, I think it called you far right or alt right or the rest of it. But But one of the reasons that I love you not having anything to do with our public thing is that you and I, when we hang out otherwise, like we challenge each other the entire time. Like it's not, it's not fake. Like we have argued about every freaking thing known to man. And it's like, we don't hold it against each other. And I wonder, what do you think that is psychologically that some people, when, they, when you disagree with them, they want to mob you. And what is it about the other people that don't want to do it? Because that's the people that we're really talking to here. Like, what is it about us that, yeah, do I think the progressives are wrong about everything? Am I worried about socialism and big government? All that? Of course I am. But I don't try to send a mob to destroy them. I, I want to expose their ideas. Right. I, I think what it, what is different about us is that we genuinely like to learn and we have a pursuit of, uh, uh, you know, we want to pursue knowledge. Um, and, and part of that takes a tremendous amount of humility. If you're actually interested in the pursuit of knowledge, uh, then you have to be willing to accept that you might be wrong. Right. So when you and I, I love getting into a room with you because sometimes I'm just saying stuff to say stuff. I don't even necessarily believe it, but I'm like, I heard this idea and I want to know what you think about it. I'm um, thinking of a time where you and I did an event uh, at some college and I was pushing you on 
it was something to do with gay marriage. And then you hit me back with something that like you won up to me and we're like, oh, I said, you know, I read somebody who said that society begins to fall apart at the very moment that gay people get rights. Right. Any so other that, that's exactly what... like homophobe, you know, homophobe. How dare you even say that? But I didn't even necessarily believe it. I heard it and I wanted to introduce it and to debate it and to hear what you said. And then you hit me back and you said, well, then you said, uh, well, then you could make that same argument and say that actually it really starts when women get rights. Right. And I said, that's actually a brilliant rebuttal to that. So I'm trying to learn and build. And part of that is being able to say something right to actually say something and get feedback. And you're just one of those people that you like to learn. We like to grow. We like to build. We can be wrong. It's OK to be wrong. Um, and a lot of people don't possess that humility. So it's interesting because one of the things for you is you've dealt with like the highest level versions of this, like every member of the media going after you but not just going after you, in many ways going after you because of your race. Like, it, yes, of course it is what you say, but if you were saying the same things as a white woman, and this is just the perversion of identity politics, it's like they would just say you're a racist and that's it. But then because you flip everything on, your, on their head, they feel that this, it, in many ways, they're going after you purely because of your race. It's, it's really right. bizarre. It's like almost hard to explain. Yeah, I, I almost present a conundrum from them because they've, they've sort of been able to sort of holster themselves on their high horses on this idea that they're so accepting, right? And that everybody else, and you talk about this in your book, is a Nazi um, and a racist and a sexist. And then you get someone who's a black female agreeing with the alleged Nazis um, and the everybody Hitlers, right? Um, and so they don't know what to do with me because they what they do is, because, is essentially saying that we go out because we need to defend people like Candace, people that look like Candace seem to be defended. And when someone that looks like me says, no, thank you, it renders them immediately powerless, right? They, they don't know what to do with it. And it's a fun, to me personally, it's a fun space to be in because I, I almost demand that they, they think and that they actually debate with ideas and they're incapable of doing that because they don't have any ideas. They just have anger and rage. You know, it's funny because I remember you got married in August and I was, you know, I do my off the grid August and I, the whole month you got married, was it the 31st you actually got married on the last day yeah. of August? Yeah. And I remember the whole month I was like, ah, I'm going to get, I'm going to be off the grid the whole month. And then I'm going to show up at the Candace's wedding and there's going to be all like the public people there. And I know somebody's going to screw me over and tell me something about the news. But anyway, that we, which didn't happen by the way, although somebody tried to, I won't mention, I won't throw them under the bus publicly, but somebody tried <laughs> to tell me something. But uh, when we got to the wedding, David and I took a picture with you and I posted it on Twitter or something. And then I saw all these people, oh, it's, you know, the alt-right wedding and there's the, the homophobe and the self-hating black woman and blah, blah, blah. And it was one of those things where not only was the wedding like one of the most fun weddings I had ever been to, but the people that you had there were exactly what America is. There were evangelical Christians, there were gay people, straight people, there were Orthodox Jews. There were every mix and color. Your husband happens to be white, so half the party was white, half the party. And nobody, the idea that anyone would have cared at no. any level. I, I had, honestly, one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had in my life was that night for about an hour. I was extremely drunk, I don't think he was, but with the priest. I had such a great conversation with the priest. And it was like, man, all of these haters that would love to send the mob on any of us, and you know, you you guys, I'm sure, had to have some extra security there, and the rest of it. It's like they they just have nothing to do with anything remotely close to the truth. 
Yeah, you know, I, I briefly touch on my wedding. I mean, just a couple of sentences in my book. And um, I talk about that because it did represent something really. It, it, it really does disrupt everything that the left preaches and everything that the mainstream media narrative is when people just come together and, and celebrate love, right? They can't stand that because it shouldn't work out. I'm a girl from a poor background. My family's impoverished. George comes from more wealth. You know, his family's more privileged. I'm black. He's white. Um, I'm, I'm a woman. He's a male. None of this should work. We've got gay people at our wedding. I got my lesbian cousins <laughs> at the wedding, right? None of this should yeah. work. That It should have just been an instant war, right? Are you gay? Are you straight? Are you tall? Are you short? Um, and yeah. that's not the way the real society actually works. And uh, one of the things that I always say is, gosh, this world would be so much better if everybody could just log off. Right. And you talk about that in your book, why, why you make the decision to sometimes occasionally log off and participate in real life, because we actually do get along. Um, and that's that that is something that I believe truly that the left hates is us getting along. Yeah. What's your policy on the apology? Because one of the things that I try to put in the book is never apologize with the only caveat being if you genuinely do something wrong. We've all apologized in real life. I apologize to David all the time. I mean, we all have apologized when it, when it's right, but I think one of the mistakes people make is they apologize when they're not sorry, actually, or when they didn't do anything wrong because they think that buys them room, they think it'll get, get them some cred, but really that never does. And I've seen you go after people on Twitter or get into, some, or someone goes after you. And then every now and again, I've seen you try to take the upper, you know, the, the not the upper hand, the, uh, the higher road. Um, but what's your policy generally related to apologizing when it when it's relative to the public life? Yeah, I pretty much never apologize in, in my public life. Um, <laughs> what what you what you realize very quickly is when they want to take you down, they will interpret everything to be wrong. Um, and here's a perfect example of that: when they took out of context my my uh, comments when I was talking about actually talking about uh, nationalism, right? And yeah, they wanted I, I was going to bring this up. Yeah. For that reason why I didn't apologize is because there was not a single person asking me to apologize that thought that I was trying to defend Hitler. It was disingenuous. Demanding the apology in and of itself was disingenuous. If any person watched the enti entire, of the, you know, the entirety of the clip and you said, hey, Candace, you know, you know, I'm Jewish. I saw the clip and, you know, just really came across on if you were Dennis Prager picked up the phone, it would have been an entirely different circumstance. But instead, I had you and Dennis Prager, you know, defending me and then Prager University defending me. Um, and because they knew that Den it was, it Dennis was is Dennis is one of your mentors. I mean, He's forget about me. Dennis, I, yeah, I work for Prager U and um, and they knew it was foolishness. And so if, if what I did say was I could have worded it better. Right. You know, not not sleeping. Um, you know, we came in on a on an overnight flight into London. Could I have worded it better if I had known that four months later, BuzzFeed was going to go back and find the video and strip it of the question and just have the sentences play? Absolutely. But was I sorry for what I said? Absolutely not. There was nothing nothing to apologize for. I was not defending Hitler. And the second you give them just a little bit of rope, they will hang you with it. The second they find out that you're vulnerable and you care about your PR and, and they're going to, you know, they're going to get you on this. You got to play that game forever. So I don't play it with them. Um, and, and if I genuinely said something and then said to myself, you know, wow, that came across really wrong. It was the same with the Me Too movement. I was the first one who said, I don't support this at all. And everyone demanded an apology. This means you support rape. Left and right hammered me. I didn't back down because I, I knew what I meant. Um, if you're going to interpret that to mean that you think I want women to get raped, you're being disingenuous, right? I am a woman. You know I don't want women to get raped. Um, so I think establishing uh, really the terms of the apology, are they actually seeking an apology or are they seeking to, humili to humiliate you? And the answer is always they're seeking to humiliate you when it comes to the left. Yeah. What would you say to the people? This is what I was trying to get the chapter to really feel at the end. I wanted to give 
not the public people that have chosen to get into this game. Like for all the headaches that it comes with and all the great things too, right? Like we have great lives, it's, it's good, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But for the people that are, that are I hate the phrase regular people, but for people that don't choose this game, but that one day it will come for them, because that's what I'm trying to show people is, it will come for you one day, because if you have any flicker of an original thought, one day someone will use that against you. Do you have any advice for like the average person that isn't gonna be out there defending themselves on Twitter, but just like the tactics that they can use in their own life to, to get some sort of, not just defense, but to actually go on the offensive with this as well? Honestly, I think it's important to stand up for yourself, even if you don't have a platform or you don't think that you have a big voice. I think it matters every single time. Um, I always stood up for myself when I disagreed with things that my professor said in college. I would say it was ridiculous um, when I had, was forced to take a Feminism 101 course. I stood up for myself um, uh, because what you really find with the left is that it, it is, um, you know, the emperor has no clothes on. Right. So when my teacher wanted to give me a bad grade because she disagreed with me and I was willing to take it all the way to the head and have her say why she disagreed with the fact that I didn't hate men or why she wanted me to say after and write, you know, I am a feminist on the board uh, because I disagreed with what she was trying to teach me. She doesn't want to do that. Right. Because and, and that's really what it is. If they're not in a big group of people, they really have no clothes on. Um, and I've learned that if it's not Antifa with 60 thugs, they really have no, the emperor has no clothes on. Um, so stand up for yourself every single time. And I'm waiting for the corporation when they hit them with these bogus discriminatory, law, discriminatory lawsuits to say, I'm not apologizing. You know, this is ridiculous. Um, and I'm not going to pay some exorbitant fee, uh, you know, to uh, some black groups when it looks like I'm dissociating myself from racism. We need to all start standing up for ourselves. If you're not a racist, you're not a sexist. Don't apologize for being one. Yeah, the other version of that is with the gays, whenever somebody makes some sort of loosely anti-gay remark or joke, which is actually not anti-gay, what do you gotta do? You gotta write a check to GLAD, and then you're good to go. Somehow you can pay your way out of it, how how bizarre. So yeah. wait, one more thing for you, because it would really tie this whole thing together. Uh, I wanted to mention this up top, but right now you are going through your own version of standing up to the mob. You sent out a tweet, do you wanna paraphrase the tweet or maybe you know it by heart already at this point? Cause you're suspended for twi from Twitter right now as we're taping it. <laughs> yeah, I said to people in Michigan, open, their, open your businesses, go to work. Uh, you know, Governor Whitner, Whitner is out of line. The police officers think she, she's nuts too. They're not gonna arrest 10 million people for going to work So and censored. Right, so okay, <laughs> so let's put aside the specifics because actually you're a private, even though you're a public person, you're a private citizen, you're not an agent of the government, you're, you can say what you want. Um, but Twitter basically took down your tweet and now they have suspended you. So you haven't tweeted in like five days, you must be freaking out at the moment, um, or you're very, you're probably very happy actually, but, but, um, but you're not backing down because all you have to do to get back on Twitter, right, is just what, what, do, you, what, would you, what do you technically have to do at this point? You have to go through this process of saying that you were wrong and you're going to delete the tweet. Um, but I wasn't wrong. Um, I'm allowed to say that. Even if I wanted to say go out and protest, that's a constitutional right. Okay. Uh, so if, if a peaceful protest, as in going to work, um, is is considered something that you're not allowed to say on on Twitter, then we need to be worried because we're 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 very quickly trending towards what you see in a communist society where you cannot critique the government. I critique 
critiqued, uh, you know, a, a politician. I critiqued Governor Whitmer, um, and I encourage the people to peacefully um, protest in their own ways. And that is something that the Facebook and uh, Facebook and Twitter are saying is not okay anymore um, because it's a risk to public safety. That's the language you see in socialist and communist societies. Disagreeing with the government is a risk to public safety, um, and and it's not. It's absolutely not a risk to public safety. So um, I'm not backing down. I filed an appeal, and I look forward to hearing back from them. How I mean, so as someone that probably more than anyone else that I know doesn't surrender to the mob. I mean, how long will you allow yourself to be in limbo? Because I know you want to get your thoughts out there and everything else. I mean, what if they just don't respond to you, which actually that would be the that would be their move right now. Right. Like, just let's just ignore her, you know, and then she'll peter out. She'll disappear. That's what they're hoping. Then I'll lawyer up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not taking any prisoners this year, and I've been very serious about going after the tech companies. Um, I had a great phone call with actually a lawyer uh, two days ago talking about this and saying that I think we need to get serious about this. We need to put together a legal defense fund. This thing is getting crazier and crazier, um, and, and they're widening the net on people that they're trying to censor. And, you know, I've had issues with Facebook this week as well, marking things as fake news. Um, uh, fake news assessments are being done by former CNN editors um, for Facebook. Leadstories.com is run by four, four former CNN editors of 20 to 26 years. They're considered unbiased fact checkers. Um, and, you know, all of this foolishness, at the end of the day, these uh, these tech companies have largely become utilities. Um, and, and for people like me, uh, who I rely on the ability to get my voice out, that is my life, that is my career. If you're going to censor me because I said to people to go to work, I mean, what are we going to start, like, finding parents for telling their children to make their bed? I mean, that's called <laughs> being a responsible citizen. Right. I mean, this is like crazy stuff. And in the meanwhile, you've got people that are doing haircuts being put in prison. The prisoners are being released. I'm in Twitter jail. People can issue threats on Twitter and say, you know, like that former Sarah Jung, New York Times person, cancel white people, kill white people. All of that's good. Candace Owens, go to work, bad. <laughs> so it's just nuts. <laughs> I keep telling people, I don't know if you saw the movie Idiocracy, but I keep telling people we're, we're about a week away from Whitmer or Gavin Newsom here telling people to water the crops with Gatorade. Like, that's how stupid the whole thing has become, you know? <laughs> it really is. Well, listen, Candace, you truly, like, you are the living example of this chapter. You've done it. I know you will never surrender to them. And I look forward to seeing you on Twitter one day. But if not, we'll do it in real life. How about that? That sounds good. We can be people in real life. Guys, go out, get the book if you don't have it yet. And don't be like me and be tempted to burn it just because he told you not to. That would be bad. The conversation doesn't end here. Join us at RubenReport.com, where we're diving even deeper into each chapter of Don't Burn This Book. And you can ask me questions directly. Once you access the Ruben Report community, you'll get so much more than access just to me. You'll be joining thousands of others, sharing their ideas, their interests, and posting photos, videos, memes. Plus, you'll get the Ruben Report podcast, ad-free and ad-free video. RubenReport.com, that's RubenReport.com.